Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Richest Men in Town podcast. I'm Mike Freeman, and along with my good friend and co-host, Tyler Gould, we're excited to welcome you to our little podcast project. Tyler and I are just a couple of middle-aged husbands and dads driven to live our best lives. We want to be better every day, so here we'll be sitting down with great people. Not famous people, but great people that we admire. To learn their secret to living the rich life. Probably not the rich life you're thinking of. Our guests come in humbled and surprised at the invitation and hopefully leave feeling proud and grateful, realizing just how good they really have it. So pull up a chair, stay a while, and raise a glass with us as we toast our guests to the richest men in town. Hello everyone and welcome to the richest men in town. This is Mike Freeman, this time flying solo without Tyler Gould. If you caught the episode last week, you uh, heard... Tyler sharing some best of from the year 2020 on the Richest Men in Town podcast. Uh, we're giving Tyler the week off, and this week I've been uh, pouring over hours of uh, previous episodes from last year, looking back on some uh, some some great lessons, trying to uh, do my best to capture those things that uh, resonated with me. Um, I want to thank all of our guests. I want to thank our listeners. 2020, with everything going on, was uh, still a pretty significant year with the launch of the Richest Men in Town podcast, something that's been living in Tyler and I's brain for a, for a long time. So it feels good to be able to uh, step into this, this new hobby, this new little passion project. So uh, this episode, we, we take a look back. Uh, we look back gratefully, the lessons learned from our good friends. Some folks I knew going in, some folks I learned, I, I learned their names and met them through uh, my friendship with Tyler. So I want to thank everybody for the way that they showed up uh, when they are invited into this this new adventure. Tyler and I are all geeked out, pretty excited. Our guests are pretty nervous because they don't quite know what to expect. And uh, they exceeded our expectations. Again, uh, thank you to all of the uh, great folks that made um, the over 30 episodes of our first season of The Richest Men in Town uh, such a success. Uh, we're sitting at over 8,000 downloads. Tyler and I, um, we've got a lot of great things in the works for 2021, and we're excited. But it really comes down to listen, listening to our guests, paying attention to the nuggets that they drop, and make sure that we uh, find a way to apply the lessons to our lives and that we hold each other accountable as we grow. This project is always about doing better and being better. And in 2021, we're done being defensive. We're done uh, looking at how this global pandemic has taken things away. And instead, it's time to go on the offensive. And it's time to figure out if COVID and the, you know, the quarantine protocols have taken things away from our lives, it's time to replace them with maybe even some things that are, that are better. Um, we're, we're, not, we're not going to uh, idly stand by and let um, time, our most precious commodity, uh, go by without trying to improve ourselves. Um, so to the future guests of Richest Men in Town, when the call comes, please say yes. Come on and, and share with us uh, what it is that makes your life uh, admirable. I, I, I hope, you, hope you appreciate this episode. If you're new to the Richest Men in Town program, this is a great place to start. You know, we've poured over last two episodes, we've poured over um, hours and hours of uh, fantastic audio content. And this is a sampler plate, if you will, of the first half of the season one, the Richest Men in Town podcast. Enjoy it. Uh, be safe out there. Take care of one another. Be kind. And uh, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's try to be like that 
George Bailey guy, right? Maybe he was on to something. Let's uh, try to fill our lives with faith, with family, with fun, and um, with impact, right? With influence on those around us. Uh, enjoy this, my version of the uh, the best of, some of my favorite moments from the first season of the Richest Men in Town podcast. All the unrest and everything that's going on right now is mostly because people don't know who they are. I mean, there's no way we would treat each other poorly like, like is, we're seeing in the media if, if we all knew and believed that we were children of God. I mean, we wouldn't treat ourselves poorly and we wouldn't treat others poorly. And so for me, I'm always just trying to remind myself. So, I mean, I have to remind myself a lot too because right. I, got, I got stuff. My favorite word is strive. And uh, what a blessing that word is. You know, am I striving? That's all he cares about. If I stop striving, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. You know, yeah. but I'm so grateful for that word. There are, there are more people that are good people than, than, we, than, than we maybe get exposed to, right? Through like media and everything else. You know, we get exposed mm. to the worst of the worst. But I think too that there's a lot of people that, that know who they are and they know who the, their eternal potential but like Mike said, they've forgotten, you know, and, and yeah. I love your point that if we're just, if we just remind people of who, of, of who they are, you know, that, that stuff comes flooding back really quick. We had a great conversation with a, a couple of guys, uh, Rajiv and Steven Mitchell, who I was impressed with. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to those episodes. Yeah. I feel like they're my friends. They don't know they're my friends yet, but I feel like they're my friends already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just was impressed with their connection to the spirit and their connection to who they, who they were or who they are. And, uh, and I feel like if there were more Dave specs, more Rajivs and more Stevens in the world, now we'd be in a, we'd be in a good spot. You know, we as humans, we as children of God are amazing, capable, resilient people, but the resiliency is not a default. We think that by our nature, people are just tough and their kids will bounce back. They're tough. People go through hard things. They're resilient. People are only resilient when a pathway is shown to them, right? If you can have somebody come into their lives and show them steps to a better way, then people are resilient. But that yeah. hope is a fragile thing. And when there is no pathway shown to them, hope can get lost. We've all talked yeah. to people that are hopeless, that have lost that hope because they've been told they can't or they've been, they've been labeled or they've labeled themselves. They put a lid on their progression and they quit because they lose hope because they lose their way. Right? So part of that reminding is, Hey, this is the way, right? This yeah. is who you are. And this is the way. And I think when we, when we say those things and then we show them, take them by the hand, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher this reference, but I, I'm thinking of Acts, right? And I think Peter's walking up and the, guy's, the guy asks for alms at the temple. And he's like, hey, I don't have anything, but in the name of Jesus Christ, right? And reaches out his hands. is like, that's what people need. People need that yeah. hand reached out in faith in, in Jesus Christ and in who that person is. And that's how we lift people up. That's how, that's how yeah. I was lifted up. 
That's how your dad, that's how your mom, that's how people, that's how it, that's how it works. Yeah. So I got a crazy story to tell you about trying to lift people up. So <laughs> it, in my job before coronavirus, I was traveling a lot and um, I developed this habit of, of uh, taking homeless people to dinner with me. And uh, I didn't tell my wife about this for a long time. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, hold on. We, on this show, we have the luxury of our time. You got to dig a little deeper here. Where did that come from? What does that look like? Right? Okay. So, so one time I was, I was walking down the street and, um, you know, a guy asked me for money and, um, and I was uncomfortable and I didn't feel, it didn't make me feel good. And so I was, I went back to my hotel and I thought, why did I not feel good about that? And what I realized was, you know what I didn't like? I didn't like that I was reacting. Why did he have to ask me? Why didn't I get to him first? And, and from there, I started doing this on every trip that I would take. I guess not every trip. But on, on most trips I would take, I would go looking for somebody. And I would be prayerful about it because I, you know, I didn't want to get myself into any real bad situations. But um, it changed everything for me in how I looked at people because I was out looking, I was out looking for someone. And, and the easy thing to do is just to, you know, buy them a meal or something. Um, but what they weren't used to is that someone wanted to spend time with them. And tell me about your story, man. How'd you get here? Tell me about your, tell me about your mom. And, uh, Man, there's a lot of people on the street that are hurting and that have a mom that loves them and that's worried about them. And uh, it was just good for me. It was good for me. I had some biases and I still have biases that I'm working through. But it was a good, it was a good experiment and I'll, I'll keep doing it. But when I told my wife about it, she was a little concerned. I was, I was having dinner with homeless people in crazy towns. So... Well, let me, but, I, I have a theory and I want to, I want to throw my theory up against what maybe you've learned through that experience. Sure. Uh, I believe, I believe in hinge moments. We ask people about hinge moments all the time on this show. I can honestly believe, I, I, I believe that if I could go into Reading, Reading's got their fair share of, uh, of folks with challenges on the streets. And I've often told my kids that I could go up to that person and ask them, you tell me, you tell me the moment. You tell me the moment when this happened. And I bet yeah. you nine out of 10 people can point to a day, right? Where maybe they're not, maybe they need, they, they needed a break. They needed a, they needed to get rent in or they had to choose between bills or, you know, somebody got sick and that's when things started to get off the rails. They just got derailed. Mm -hmm. right? You know, and I, I think too, Mike, that there's, so I, I, I think the, the three of us have had some great opportunities to help people in, in some very, in some really different circumstances, you know, and, and I, I remember talking to a young woman a few years ago and she was telling me that and she was homeless, you know, and she was telling me, I don't have anybody in my life, you know that cares, you know, she has, she has nobody. Right. And so I said, well, let's, 
let's talk about that. You know, let's write, let's write some names down of some people that, that you have had in your life. Right. And she gave me some names and, and then she systematically went through and said, well, this person doesn't, won't, doesn't care about me anymore. And I've offended this person and this person's offended me. And, and, you know, and I said, well, who on this list were you the closest with? Oh, at one point in time, I was really close with my sister, but that bridge is so burnt, you know, there's no way. I said, well, why don't we call your sister? You know, and she's like, I can't, can't do that. You know, that that's not going to work. So I said, what, why don't I call your sister? Can I call your sister and have a conversation with your sister? You know, and, and I'm telling you, I got on the phone with that sister who just was overcome with emotion, right? Like, where is she, right? Just yeah. freaking out. And I said, well, she's here with me and she's under the impression that she has no one in the world that loves her, you know? Mm. And this, this sister, that's not, couldn't be further from the truth. You end up buying a bus, a bus ticket and she went, went home to her sister. You because know? that's it, right? That's what shame does. When you make mistakes, you put that label of shame on you and that's, you say, right. I'm not lovable. That's exactly what I'm talking about, right? In the, beginning of, in the beginning of the show, right? We're talking about, hey, when people fall down, how do, how do they get back up? How do they, because there's plenty of people that get to that point that say, no one loves me. There's no way back. I, I, I've crossed the point of no return. And here I am with, with nothing to do but, but trod down this path of despair and hopelessness. But the reality is, in my experience, that there is people that are, that are chomping at the bit to, to show that person love, right? And to help that person get back to where they need to be. Because at, at, on some level, in some way, shape, or form, we've all been in that person's shoes, right? And if we can remember that, I think that's, that's powerful, right? We have to remember, Dave, when you're, when you're going out to say, hey, I want to find a, this homeless guy to have dinner with me, at the, at the Red Robin or whatever, you know, the, the reason you're able to do that is because I think you can see some of you in that person, right? Can we, can we put ourselves in people's shoes? I think that's a, that's an important thing for us to be able to do. Otherwise we just look down our, look through the, the, the lens of judgment and say, well, sucks to be that guy. Right. But it, it, it doesn't even, it doesn't even mean like I have to totally relate and be in their shoes. We have to humanize the issue. Right. That that's a son. Yeah. That that's a daughter. Yeah. yeah, that's it for me, Mike. That's it for me. I mean, what is, you know, how worried is this guy's mother? Man, if that's not enough for me to do something, I mean, do it for his mother. Yeah, I mean, here's, here was, here's the driver, right? What if that was my daughter? Yeah. What if that was my daughter? Who's going to be talking to my daughter? And who's going to pick up the phone when my daughter says... I can't go back to my dad because we, I burnt that bridge. Who's going to pick By up the, the phone and call me and say, Hey, you know what? You're I'm here with your daughter and she, she, she needs some help. She's missing you. I mean, that's a powerful, that's a powerful deal, man. Well, and it's crazy because that's the only thing I would be praying for. Yeah. Right. I would be praying that she makes a contact with somebody that can reach out to me. Yeah. Right. They, and, and it's really by the grace of God that it's not my daughter. Right. Right. Sure. Yeah. Because it could easily be. 
Oh, it's, totally. I tell a my wife all the time. I'm like, a couple of different choices, a couple yeah, different yeah. things, right? We're a couple choices away from being in that same spot. And, and the, the hope is, right, that Dave, as a dad of six, right, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yep, six. Right? As a dad of six, the hope is, and I'm a father of four. Mike's got two amazing kids. That, it, but as fathers. We, I'm behind, man. I got to catch up. You know, I don't know if <laughs> Kelly's going to be. You up for the task, my friend. <laughs> yeah, you better clear that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, the hope is that our relationships with our kids are at a point where if, if they do go off the rails, they feel like I can call my dad, I can call Dave, right? And he's going he's gonna to be nothing but love and bring me back. So well, that's the question. That's the question, Tyler. What yeah. evidence? What evidence have we given to our kids that that is what the experience will be for them. Absolutely. So here, here's my question Man. for you, Dave. That's a burning question, yeah. brother. Yeah, no, and, I, and, I think, and I think it is. And I think like, it kind of part of my story, I think, is the fact that like, I fear, my biggest fear is failure. And I think in that, I think the steps of taking small steps of courage in terms of like, going in the, in the direction of, of discomfort and unknown, you know, where things are unknown, I think that's what I think it's just, it's a, you know, courage is not a big thing. It's, 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 this, it's the small steps in, in, in the right direction, you know, and, and the way you make a muscle grow is you keep tearing it, you know, but you tear it slowly. If you tear it all the way, you're, you know, you, you, get a, <laughs> you, know, you get, you get injury, you know, but it's, but it's small tears that make a muscle grow. So I think, I think, you know, that's part of kind of where I am. I think is this whole idea of, Hey, you know, being in that discomfort and being, you know, fearing the unknown, but realizing that growth happens in that spot, you know, and I think that's, those are the small steps that I had, I hope they'd tell me to do. I was tired of being an engineer, you know, I just wanted to break. And the, 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 the joke at that point was, was, was that I was trying to find myself and, you know, Waldo, Wes Waldo was <laughs> kind of the whole thing that kind of went around with me, like, Oh, where is he? You know? And, and so anyway, so, so there's three and a half, week trip um what happens is i i i'm in i'm supposed to be in tibet it's supposed to be in thailand so so we do we do this trip in, in europe and then um i go and travel in europe a little bit more end up going back to india which i hadn't been i hadn't been back to india in 13 years because we had been here in the states and just with the visa stuff and all it took me about 20 years to get my 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 citizenship but because of that whole time, I couldn't travel out to the U.S. And so 13 years, I go back to India. And um, I am supposed to be in Phuket when the tsunami of 2004 happened. Mm. And my sister, uh, my dad had a house in the U.K. at that time in London. And my sister is like, hey, let's go and do Christmas in, in, in England. And so I'm like, sure, you know, and I was kind of upset because I'm like, you know, I wanted to go spend some time in Thailand and Phuket and stuff, and I didn't. And the night I flew was the night the tsunami happened. Wow. And I could have been, you know, in Phuket. Phuket was one of the worst places hit in the tsunami. Right. So, so here I am, and this is kind of part of my selfishness. You know, I'd spent a whole bunch of money, I mean, you know, on myself during this time. And part of the thing was, hey, you know, maybe if I do one month of mission, you know, it'll it'll pay for all my, you know, all the money I'm wasting on myself. And so um, here I go, I go, okay, you know, I could have died. You know, what can I do to kind of help, you know, with the guilt again, but sure. also 
but also just do something good, you know. And so I ended up like trying to hold different different organizations, the Red Cross and some other places. And, and they're like, oh, if you, have, if you have any experience, you can come help, you know. And, and I had some friends in Sri Lanka that ran a mission organization over there. And Sri Lanka was one of the, I think, the, the second worst country to be hit. Okay. By the tsunami. And so um, I spoke to them and they're like, hey, they're like, you know, we need somebody to design websites. Like, you know, can you design websites? I'm like, sure, I'm an engineer. I can design a website. <laughs> I remember buying this book, you know, Website for Dummies that I read <laughs> on the plane, you know, down there. And by the time I finished that month, that website looked like it was made by a dummy too. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't my best work. But anyways, during that time, I ended up helping with, um, there was a, a project for building 350 houses and, and helping a, a whole village of 350 families. And we got three and a half million dollars for that. And I helped build, write this, write this proposal. And so they asked me like, Hey, you want to come back and help with this? And so I came back to the States, sold my house, put stuff in storage and lived, ended up living in Sri Lanka for three and a half years. Wow. And, but part of my backstory was my dad was always in social work and I'd seen him, seen him beg for money and this whole thing. And I had made a vow that I would never go into social work. You know, I just, I saw the negative pieces of that. And I, you know, and that was something that I didn't want to, didn't want to do. Right. So I go there and I realize that I just really, really enjoy this, this stuff. You know I mean? Just doing, helping out these people was just, was just a cool thing. But I also realized that in the nonprofit and the social work, that if you don't have a heart for it, you don't have a passion for it, that it's very, very easy to go the wrong way and have the wrong motives and, and end up, because you know, the, just the, in terms of the accountability isn't as, isn't as much. And it's just, you know, it's all about stories and it's just, there's some stuff that, that you can very, very easily get misled, you know? And so I was there for three and a half years and um, I had to come back to the States every six months because of my visa. And so every time I came back every six months, I'd go and stop in some country and, and go travel there for a couple of months and then, you know, and come back. And this last time I decided to travel in China. I was there for a month, China and Tibet. And it was just a, you know, a, a kind of a prayer. I'm like, okay, you know, God, if you want me to go down this line, you have to give me the heart for this because I understand if I don't have the heart for it, that it's not going to go in that direction. Can I stop you really quick? Can I stop yeah. you with you? Yeah. So, so did you always, uh, did you grow up with faith? Was faith yeah. an important aspect of your family? Yeah. So, so I, so I grew up, I grew up, yeah. I, my, my mom and dad uh, became Christians, I think in the late teens or early twenties. And so I grew up in church and, you know, did that whole thing. Um, I didn't get serious till I was 21 actually in the U S um, and there was a guy that came and spoke to our church and, and the message was quit playing with God. <laughs> I'm like, I think, I think you might be talking to me there. So, so, you're, was, so you're 21, you're 21 and you, you, you have, you have a moment where it's starting to get real. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, you know, I played the whole, you know, I, you know, I, this was the days when I used to wear suits and go to church on Sundays and then the rest of the week, you know, it was a different, a different person, you know? And so mm -hmm. I kind of played that for a long time and, and it was only till till that till that happened when I was twenty one that that, that changed. Um, so so when, you, yeah. when you ask that, when you, you you say that prayer in Tibet to have your heart changed, it, was there is there a moment that you can point to where you say, "Hey, this is 
this is where I really felt like there was this transformative moment for me after uh, feeling drawn to that work. Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, I think it, it was a process, but I mean, you know, th- that, that was a time when I made, when I made a decision and said, okay, you know, I got to stop doing what I'm doing and, 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 and change, change the course I'm going in. And, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't like a, like boom, and you know, I'm heading in this direction. Sure. You know, it, was, it was a gradual thing, but it was an intentionality that, Hey, you know, that, that I am made for a purpose that, that there is a God that loves me and, and you know, that, that life could be a lot better if I lived it, you know, in conjunction with him. So there was, there was that, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, but I, but I remember, I mean, I, I can still remember the time when you spoke, it was the guy called Tim LaHaye. And he, he was a, a veteran. He had no, uh, he was in a, a wheelchair and, um, but I just remember that message and, you know, and I felt that God was talking to me and saying, yeah, you know, that's awesome. Time to be serious about it, and I, I actually made a faith, made a commitment to faith when I was six years old um, in the UK, and, um, and it was another crazy story. But and I remember that too. But I, you know, but I know that just life got serious for me in my faith, you know, at that age. And then, you know, I mean, there's, you know, you know, I don't know how life goes with you guys with faith, but with me, it's been this up and down journey thing, you know. And, yeah. and so that was that was a peak, you know. And then I went down, and you know, and it's. It continues, continues going in that direction, you know, and it's a thing of, of continual changes in your path to get you, get you focused in the right direction. Like, you know, I had, I had, I had a heart for people, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I think it was more out of guilt than out of, than out of a passion, out of something that, you know, was like the true reason for doing it. And telling Mike about this, but there was, I was in Tibet and Tibet has just major, major oppression. It did um, at that time with the Chinese and it was just something that's sad because the Chinese were trying to make a life and they had an opportunity of a new country <clears throat> that they could try and you know try and try and get better and as a result you know there's a lot of oppression with these Tibetans and I remember reading somewhere where they said that especially girls in Tibet that their likelihood of them going to prostitution is extremely extremely high because schooling was really difficult for them and they weren't given much opportunity and, and I see this girl we're having like some tea in the morning at this, at this cafe. And I see this girl just really, really articulate. And she speaks English, just a beautiful smile. I was about nine or 10 years old. And she, um, I see her and I look at her and I realize like her future or her destiny, like, you know, is heading in this direction. That's just really, really painful. Then something just kind of hit me during that time. Um, it was also, it's also a process because when we, when I traveled in Tibet, um, so I'd meet people and we'd, we'd travel as a group. And a lot of times, you know, I was with people from Europe and Caucasians. And I was the only guy that was that, that was a different color. But all the kids would follow me around and they'd harass me. And they'd go, you know, give me money, give me food and stuff. And they wouldn't bother everybody else, but they would somehow, you know, and, and God used that whole process. And then this girl looking at her in the eyes and going, realizing that, man, like her destiny, like where she's heading, like if nobody stops it, she's in this train going down this down this road that's gonna to lead to destruction and destruction and oppression, you know. And that like that was the first breaking point of of my life as to go on, okay, hey, you know, and then it kinda of hit me that okay, you know, the reason why I have so much, the reason why I was given so much is that I can help people that don't have it, you know, and, and like like the switch came on and got okay, you know. It's not a thing of guilt. It's a thing of okay, hey, you've been given much, so you can help people that that don't have it, you know. And that was the start of this journey, you know. That was in two thousand and 
um, seven, and um, and then you know, 2013, my dad my dad died, and yes, it was just it was a really cool story because um, you know there was there was a couple of couple of hinge moments during that time. You know, the first thing was this, this buddy of mine say, "Hey, let's go for a bike ride." It just you know it was complete selfish. You know, there was no, there was, there was nothing at all that was, you know, whatsoever good in it. It was just a thing of, hey, I'm tired of working. Let me go and travel the world and do some stuff. And that was one hinge moment. And then, you know, the other moment was, you know, with this girl and, and realizing that that something, that, that I was made for something more, you know. And um, so, yeah, and, and that was just, I mean, this, you know, as an engineer, I wasn't, I wasn't a bad engineer. But I used to go to work because I made money, you know, and that was my passion. That was my, like, you know, you know, I went there for a paycheck, you know, I liked what I did, but there was nothing else behind it, you know. And, and when I went to Sri Lanka and I, you know, I ended up like running this organization for 160, that had 160 people, like a three and a half million dollar budget. I had never managed anybody, but like I was so, so alive, you know, and I like, like okay, this is what I've been created for, you know, and not. You know, yes, yes, I have skills in engineering, but this is kind of who I am. One thing that my, so my daughter, she's five years old, and she has, we cuddle before, before we, she goes to bed and she wants to watch this TV. A lot of times, you know, I'll cuddle, and it's like, you know, it's the same, some kid program, and so I'll be on my phone, you know, doing stuff on my phone. And every time she will snatch my phone from me, she'll mm-hmm. say, Dad, you know, we need to cuddle here, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, like, you know, I had this moment a couple of weeks ago. I went on a bike ride with my two youngest, with, with uh, my six-year-old and my seven-year-old. And Tyler, I, I, I turned 50. I have never experienced this moment before, but it was this moment of being present, you know? And there was, there was nothing. The future, the past, like, like for some reason, like my head, all I, rem- I remember all the smells. I remember mm. the time with my kids. You know, and I have never experienced that, you know, at 50 years old, you know, and, and it's like, oh my goodness, I think that that's like one of the biggest things that I think, like my kids are showing me is the fact that, you know, like, it's like, oh my, you know, life goes by so freaking fast, yeah, so fragile, you know, but yet we, we're all we're concerned about is the future or somebody else or something else. But it's like, oh my goodness, this moment over here, you know, is a sacred moment, you know, and like, you know, I, I see my daughter, she, you know, yanks the phone out of, you know, and it's like, okay, you, you, you know, you know, this is something yeah. she's going to grow up and it's going to be different, you know, and I think like just being present in the moment and, and appreciating the moment, you know, and I, like I look back and there's so many times that I just totally missed that, you know, in, in relationships, with, you know, with my wife and whatever there's been that I've missed those moments that I, that I could have been present to that, you know? And so that was, uh, that's been a big, <laughs> a big, big, like whack on the head. Like, you know, yeah. like, you know, it's not, you know, life is about what you have right now. Rajiv, you mentioned the ups and downs, the ups and downs of faith, the ups and downs of life. Um, everybody's dealing with something. How does Rajiv deal? Um, I, I drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I got to write that down, Rajiv. <laughs> Let's add that to our strategy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 1987, we're married. In 1988, Mike, um, she, she told me that, uh, and I was drinking to the point maybe once every two weeks, once every week, 
but she saw the cycle. I said four beers, it was nine beers. I said three beers, it was 10 beers. Absurd. She said to me, listen, this can't continue if we are going to have children. And she said it in such a loving way looking at me that I don't rightly remember if it was before she said it or after that I heard directly in prayer from the Lord, not audible, in my heart, Steve, to have a personal relationship with me, you need to stop. I went to one AA meeting, and 33 years later, I, or 32 years later, I just celebrated 32 years of sobriety. Wow, congratulations. And it was actually pulled from me so immediate that I really know, in the same way I know about that Samoan man being an angel, I know the Lord took it. Yes, it's been hard every once in a while. I can't share a glass of wine with my wife. But as I've told Mike before and I told kids, Always when you're experiencing, and I'm really paying attention to anybody that is folks that are suffering in addiction with alcohol or drugs, it's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. But what happens is, is you you get to a point where I hear, in this case, from my wife, and I heard from the Lord, that... These consequences, so what I got going is a huge rearview mirror of rubble, rubble, broken relationships, broken promises, brokenness, broken that, everything shattered in the rearview mirror, and it's giant, and my windshield is about one-eighth the size of going forward. I'm constantly looking back. And finally, I say, enough rearview mirror. And because of Julie and the Lord, once I made that decision and he helped me, all of a sudden I got a shrinking of a rearview mirror, shrinking, shrinking, and I have a widening windshield forward. That is what happened. Yeah. People that drink that don't think about drinking, they don't have a problem. I mean, that really turned me. That yeah. was like a key in the door. Yeah. It. Do I think I have a problem? Yes, I do. And then the question is, what's the question next? Right. What am I going to do about it? Right. What am I going to do about it? And you can go ahead and psh, one more time, but the echoes of what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? They're still there, even if you try and silence them, even if it's a little squeaking sound in the corner of the room. What are you going to do about it? You got to do something about it, whether it's that, whether it's any change you need to make for any, for yourself, for someone else, for your family, for a friend, mending something that went wrong. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? God has a, the Lord has a great sense of humor too. Here, I'm going off Cyprus. A guy's got a sign. I want a hamburger. <laughs> so, so, okay, I've got time. 
I'm going to get him a burger. I'm going to get him a soda and a big fry. Dad, got it? And so I come over there. Oh, I'm shining my Christian apple. And I'm going to give him this stuff, right? And I talk to him. So how you doing? You got, you got food now. Is there something else I can do for you? Oh, no, no, no. This is good. This is what I asked for. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Well, I eat it right now. Come on, enjoy it. <laughs> we rolled up the bag. And I just saw him kind of hold the bag, and then I turned the corner, and I saw him put the bag somewhere, right? So I'm walking back. So Julie was in Florida gas station because it's a corner. I, I could have died. I have trouble controlling my 14, size 14 shoes. Anyway, so I cross, and then a guy drives past in a truck. He waves at me and says, hey, I saw that you just saw that guy. I've got a burger for him. And so he pulls over in the same gas station. He hands me the stuff that he bought him. And I go back to the guy. I told Julie, Julie, wait, wait, we've got a catering business here. I'm busy. I'm busy. So I go back. This is classic. I go back and I say to him, Okay, hold on a second. Gee, what do you have behind your backpack? Uh, well, it's nothing. Well, it was a bunch of Burger King burgers. <laughs> and I said to him, no, this is, this is true. So I am really, listen, I'm thinking to myself the whole time, this is absolutely got it work. If I had never done this, I wouldn't have been able to laugh like the Lord is laughing. So I asked the guy, okay, hold on a second, man. Look, behind that thing, you got burgers coming out of your ears. You got stuff. I said, what do you really want to do? And the guy said, I need to go to L.A. because there's a job I want to enter. Well, change your sign. Holy things. Holy cow. Okay, so anyway, I didn't have a marker. I should have actually really got him a marker and helped him with a sign. Oh, don't ask for burgers anymore. Give me back <laughs> what I gave you. Man, I, I love that, Stephen. That is, first of all, that's hilarious. <laughs> Second of all, and I love, here, here's, here's my quote. I, I'm, I've got a whole list of quotes I'm writing down from, from Stephen, but change your sign. I mean, think about that. I mean, how? Oh what are we projecting, right? And what what do we really want to get to? And how are we really going to get there? And 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 how how often do we have too much pride to ask someone for the actual help that we need? When when faith became a source of power for you in your life. Okay. First of all, being raised in the Catholic Church, I was an altar boy. Um, the Catholic Church was a very good undergirding for me to understand our reverence and how powerful God was. And that was a very important thing. Now, I did get through the Catholic Church because of the Missalette. And so when you're reading and Respisorial Psalms that you're repeating, and when you're reading it, You'd have Isaiah, for example, then you might have a piece of the psalm, then you'd have the gospel. Well, these were puzzle pieces. I always looked at it as puzzle pieces. Well, well, first, when I started going to church, they were still speaking in Latin. 
So, I mean, what the? That's very possible. Oh, my gosh. If God talks like that, I'm shot. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that was trouble. So, anyway, with the missalette, I had puzzle pieces. So, these questions happened. So, when I went to, from the Catholic Church, and I went to Chico State, I went to the a Newman Center, and that was more evangelical. And I was actually starting to hear sermons and a discussion that was, wow, this Jesus, this Jesus was real, and he had apostles that may have had some similar problems like I got. And that thought came to me, right? Now, that was a big thought, actually, because as far as I was concerned, anytime I heard about the 12 apostles, these guys were so holier than thou that there's no way, no how I'd ever be able to follow Jesus. They'd say, like, oh, come on, Steve, are you serious? <laughs> no, that wasn't a very good accent. Anyway. <laughs> sounded, so, it sounded Yiddish. <laughs> and I taught drama. That was bad. Okay, so I won't try and recreate it. But anyway, from that point, what happened is, is intertwined with my alcoholism and failing, 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 two DUIs, accidents, I mean, you name it. Me and my prayers, Lord, take this from me. No, I want it back. I mean, the tug of war. So I got that going on. So this is now 1993. So I've been clean and sober now for uh, five years. Pretty good math there. Five years, and in 1993, I am a um, with the Trinity County Office of Education in Weaverville, and I am the arts coordinator. So I coordinate art shows, docent programs. I'm working with all these people. So I'm in Weaverville. We're going to a Nazarene church. Actually, we were going actually to the uh, Bethel Church, where Pastor Bill actually started in the theater up there in Weaverville. But this is extra information. So what happens is, is that I have this conversation with this good friend, Paul, and I am seeking, I am seeking. Well, there's two brothers in the, they're not brothers, they're brothers to me, Steve Dunlap and Pat Curran. These two guys take their Bibles and we go downstairs in our rental house and I am with these guys and we pray. And then I start asking questions. So I would say, where does it speak about marriage in the Bible? I was there, Timothy. I was there, Timothy. And so I've got this hunger going. And I'm listening. And I am dry. I am dry. It is the desert. I am thirsty. And so Brother Pat Kern gives me a box of John MacArthur Jr. tapes Chuck Swindoll. I mean, we're talking opposite ends of the spectrum. Fire and brimstone from um, uh, uh, John MacArthur and family man stories with Swindoll. I'm getting all of this. So I am listening to Romans. And then I am just filled with this Jesus. And my friend Paul tells me, hey, Steve, you know what you really need? You just need some music. And so he gives me a Franciscan monk named John Michael Talbot. 
Terry Talbot, his brother, they do an album called The Painter, The Empty Canvas. I mean, I start listening and all of a sudden, and he's singing mostly psalms, things from the psalms that are in there. And God is moving. I'm asking questions. So I'm in the county car and I'm asking all sorts of questions. I've got a boom box that's seat belted on my right. And so I'm ready to just go ahead and listen to sermons and get on with it. And so it's snowing and I, it's snowing in Trinity Center outside on Highway 3 North outside of Weaverville. And I am directing a Christmas play about toys. And so it's snowing and I'm going slow in the county car. And so Trinity Lake is on my right. And I decide, okay, I'm going to listen to this tape, The Greatest Man That Ever Lived. And it was on John the Baptist. So it's snowing. I'm going slow. And I, okay, I want to hear this tape. I'm almost there with the kids. I know what to do today when the kids. And so I take this tape and I start to put it in. And then I hear, don't put in the tape. And I hear, it's not audible. I hear in my heart, don't. All of a sudden, man, it was like this light weight was over me. And I said, Oh, uh, uh, Lord, is that you? Is uh, I'm going to put in the tape. And I go to, and then I hear it again. But it's not stronger like Headlock and the Noogie. It's, I have something for you. And so then I started shaking. I put down the tape. I heard that I needed to pull over the car. And yes, this is not audible. I'm not going nuts. I'm going to teach a school and the snow's falling and it's absolutely beautiful. And I pull over the car and I turn it off and I just wait and I'm kind of crying and I'm shivering. I said, Lord, um, what do you, what do you want? And I heard, I want a personal relationship with you. I started weeping profusely. I told him, yes, 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 come in, take over. I've had it. I've had it. I'm done. I'm done with alcoholism. I'm done with religion. I'm done with everything. I need you. And right then and there in the car, I accepted him. The ending of the story that's unbelievable is I went back after that day. I, I don't think I was, I think I was quite useless that day. So anyway, I went back, told Julie what happened and, you know, just miraculous. And, and, and I was changed. I was changed in an instant. I was absolutely changed. I, I called up my Rolodex. I don't even know if you know what that is, um, Michael, but yeah. From the from the office, I know. Okay, <laughs> from the office. Thank telling, you, Michael Scott. Thank you, Michael Scott, for teaching us. <laughs> yeah, I was what a Rolodex. Mike, I'm like, look, I have this this Rolodex or this file of like these experiences that I don't want to lose because those are the things that keep pushing me when my faith is wavering or I'm, 
you know, not, not at my, at my peak, I reference those things constantly and they, and they push me forward, you know, like these experiences that of your mom and your dad. And so at this point I'm like, dang, I don't left scholarship I'm back home. I'm in school, but I'm just kind of lost at that point. So this family friend of mine, same guy that, that helped my family out when we first joined church, same guy that came to pick me up from uh, college and spent some time with him. He helped me get an apartment by myself. And this is where my transformation starts. Like, I love my dad and I love my mom, but I didn't want to let him down. If that makes sense. Like, he was putting a financial... Hmm. Like, hey, I'm putting my name on the line to help you get a place. Almost, almost as long like, as, like an investment. Yeah, he's like, as long as you, you make C's in college, I'll pay half your rent. Hmm. So you got to make C's, go to school, I'll pay half your rent. So I didn't want to let him down. We talked a little about the, about the church, and I told him that I was trying to focus more on it and stuff like that. And the biggest part of me starting to change the life is I just didn't want to let them down. Like my parents, I don't think I could let them down, but maybe, I don't know, but I think their bar was pretty low where we were in life at the time. (laughs) So me being in college was like a win. Alan, Michael, can I stop you right there? What, have you ever thought about um, why he did what he did? What did he see? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. Him and his his uh, his wife was a big factor in in helping us. But he just had compassion. I I, I don't. He said that it's crazy because they used to write my family letters. I still got the letters that he wrote my family, keeping in touch. Like they would visit. They just loved my family, and I don't know why. He said he saw potential, whatever that was. Hey, you know what? There's that word, right? And that, oh, the potential word, yeah. In that case, <laughs> yeah. circumstance, that's the brilliant, beautiful side of that word, right? But yeah, I, I just yeah. think it's interesting because, look, there's, there's times where you just meet people and there's certain people that, that for whatever reason, you just connect with their soul. You know, it's like you just, you just know them and they may not know that. Like I... I have leaders I can think back to in the church that when I was a young kid doing stupid things that would always come over to me and put their arm around me and say, Hey, it's all right. It's going to be, you know, don't, don't sweat it. We're going to be okay. Right. And, and, and I, I thought, I've thought many times, like if I was in that guy's shoes, I would have walked away from me a hundred times. Right, a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> especially but, my family. My goodness, man. Right, but he's stuck but, in there. He's stuck in there. Yeah, there's certain there's certain people that you meet that are just you're just connected to them, and and thank God for people like that, right? That that are in tune enough to say, you know what, I can look past some of this stuff because I see the potential, right? And and we're not yeah. talking potential of. You know, maybe maybe he's thinking this a little bit, but I that you know, Alan Michael's going to be this this you know powerhouse CEO someday, and that probably will happen. I know I know you, but but he sees the potential of who you are as a person, right? And I'm I'm in my own life, 
I'm always grateful for people that could identify my potential before I knew what my own potential was. But you know what? I think it, I, 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 I agree, but I also think when I'm in those situations, I see me. For sure. Right? Like I remember being young, dumb, broke, carless, stuff going on, right? And I'm trying to, I'm trying to work a decent job at Long's Drugs. I'm walking in slacks and a shirt and a tie and I've got my thumb out looking for, looking for, just do me a solid and take me to work, right? <laughs> I, I, I got nothing, but I'm trying and I'm telling myself in my mind, if I ever see a guy walking down the street looking the way I'm looking and needs some help, I'm going to help the guy, right? And so maybe sometimes this help, this investment, this, this compassion and this charity and service is really just us seeing us, right? I think, yeah. I think so for sure, Mike. And given that think, break that we needed. Yeah, because I think, but I think at the same time, we see us, right? And where we are now, like look back on where we were. And I'm, I'm going to keep punting that word down the road. Like we see the potential like of what we, what that person could be. And quite honestly, that's, that's the a gospel principle, right? I mean, we see, we see potential. It, if we, if we for a second, just talk about God, right. And we say this God that created us, he, he sees the eternal potential of who we mm-hmm. are. Right. And so there's no yeah. quit. That's why when we screw up, we can change, we can, we can ask for forgiveness, we can go back to that well as many times as needs be because there's someone bigger and greater than us that still sees our potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all oh, got it. I mean, because here's, here's the question, right, that we're all going to try to, at least one of the many questions we're going to try to, to figure out tonight. If we don't solve the world's problems tonight, then we've failed something. <laughs> then the whole podcast is a failure. <laughs> yeah, I don't care about the world's problems. Hey, I don't care about the world's problems. I care about my problems. <laughs> Quinn, I need you to solve my problems. Gotcha. You can come back tomorrow night and work on Tyler's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's the question. If we, we know that, right? You, the three of us sitting here, we recognize that fact um, that comparison is the thief of joy. So how, how do we, I mean, how do we ourselves combat that? And then how do we effectively give that, let our, our children be armed with that same knowledge where it's actually meaningful? Because I think now when I tell them that, they roll their eyes and go, dad's a slacker, he's broke. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dad with his quotes. Yeah, yeah, here we go again. <laughs> I don't want a quote, I want a $20 bill. That's right, that's right. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So, hey, I mean, dad, you can take that quote and shove it. I want an Audi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I feel really fortunate because, you know, I don't think a lot of people know early on what they're going to do with their lives. Uh, for me, this profession, Weirdly enough, it, it almost partially feels like a calling in life. Like this is just what God wanted me to do. I don't know why. It just 
it just has felt that way. I, I guess what, what really comes down to is this idea of creating something. I love the idea of creating, I trying to figure things out, you know, and it comes down to a lot of things in my life. It's not, you know, even when I'm not doing architecture as a profession, I'm off, I'm often doing it on the side at home, not necessarily just for extra, extra money, but it's just, it's kind of become my hobby in a way. And it's, it's just this idea of creativity. You know, I kind of call it my, my God complex, you know, this idea of creating something that wasn't there before for everybody to see. Hey, uh, so, so you mentioned something and that actually brought to mind a story, like the best career advice I ever heard. And I think you nailed it. Um, comes from the life of Henry B. Eyring. Henry B. Eyring's dad was a renowned scientist. And Henry B. Eyring wanted to follow in his dad's footsteps, right? So Henry was uh, struggling through a science class. And he went to his dad. He's like, hey, dad, can you help me with this? And his dad said, haven't we talked about that principle before? He's like, yeah, I just don't get it. I'm not, I'm, I'm struggling with it. And the dad looked at him and said, you know, science is, uh, if it's going to be a career, you need to, you need to choose a career that you think about when you have nothing to think about. Mm. Make that your career. Make that your calling in life. And so it's interesting when you talk about doing architecture when you don't have to do architecture, right? And thinking about design and creativity. When I heard that, that's the best career advice. And that's actually what I give to my kids, right? When they're thinking about like things that. right now, it's like, what do you think about when you have nothing to think about and try to make that a living? That's funny because that's, that's, that's not quite the same advice I give my kids. I tell my kids, if you don't know what you want to do, be a dentist. So. I just told my son. He, he was telling me, giving me some ideas of what he wanted to do for his career. I said, I said those sound great, dude, but uh, have you thought about orthodontics? Like that's not- <laughs> there's, there's a there was a talk by Dieter Uchtdorf that he actually gave at a women's conference, but um, he talks about creating. And if, if it's cool with you guys, I want to, I want to read just a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, it says the desire to create is one of the deepest yearnings of the human soul. No matter our talents, education, backgrounds, or abilities, we each have an inherent wish to create something that did not exist before. Everyone can create. You don't need money position or influence in order to create something of substance or beauty creation brings deep satisfaction and fulfillment we we develop ourselves and others when we take unorganized matter into our own hands and mold it into something of beauty and i just think you know it's it's just that idea of that sense of fulfillment of once you've created something you know you can you can recognize your influence on on the world and you know it's going to be minor or whatever but it's it's just that you can create something you you everybody's been given this gift of being able to do that so. okay 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 i got i gotta stop you here i gotta stop you here because this is where this is where we we highlight you've been invited as a guest to the richest men in town podcast i don't know how that made you feel right invited but i will tell you right now you're speaking a language and I'm admiring the heck out of that because I don't speak that language, right? I do know this. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are builders and there are murmurers. And I try mm-hmm. to surround myself 
with builders. Quinn, I love what you're saying, but I just want to elevate what you're saying because you're saying it like it's common Joe stuff and it's not. And let, can I jump in on that, Mike? Because I, I like that. There's a couple things that you said, Quinn, that I that I like. And and one one is just that this idea of you knew what you wanted to do and you got to where you wanted to do it, but you, you recognize all the roadblocks and the hardships that kind of existed. And I, I mean, there's so much, there's so much to be said about just being able to grind through and get to the end goal. I mean, I admire, that's one of the many things I admire about you, Quinn, is that you, you've done that. I, you know, I've started things and stopped things many times in my life. And, and, and I admire the fact that you're, that you've been disciplined enough to get yourself to where you want to be, recognizing that it was a bumpy road and hard to get there. And I think the road had detours and a lot of people hit detours that they don't get, they don't come back from. Yeah. And I think too, the other thing that you made me think about is when you're saying, you know, uh, you're reading that quote by Uchtdorf about creators, I'm thinking. Great quote. Yeah, I don't, I don't have it in me. Like I, I'm thinking, man, I got to figure out what I'm, what I am creative about. But, uh, but it does make, it does force me to think a little bit, be a little bit more introspective about like, what, what am I doing to kind of flex that creative muscle on some level? Right. Yeah. But I, I would say, I mean, don't sell yourself short. I mean, you were in a band, right? You created, yeah. uh, you created music. You were definitely a creator, right? I just happened to create the <laughs> intro. To yeah. This podcast. yeah. That is something I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think building, I think, I think, and I do think Tyler's selling himself short because I see creativity in his life as well. Absolutely. But I, you know, I, I work with, I work with schools and I work with teachers and there's, there's an administrative friend of mine. And every time we end every conversation, him, one of the two of us, when we walk away, say, build something today. Mm. You know, like, so that, that, that idea of building, building community, building people, building buildings. I mean, I, I think that it is important to understand that some way, shape or form, we all have the power to build something. Mike, I'm going to take a stab at um, my definition uh, of compassion and 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 it's going to come from a religious perspective, but it's it's like can we view others through the Savior's eyes? You know, and how would He view other people, and how does He view us? And and uh, it takes a great deal of empathy, takes a great deal of forgiveness, and and not being judgmental. You know, you don't know what that person has ever gone through. You know, you haven't walked in their shoes, and um, it really, if we step back and we look at people from a different perspective and try to understand versus judge, then I, I think we begin to glimpse compassion and start to understand it a little bit better. That's, that's just me speaking. But I like that, John. I like that, that, that sort of that formula of forgiveness, not judging and having empathy gets us to that point where we can start to, to exercise compassion. Right. You know, well, I, like the, I like the relationship or the connection to the Savior, right? We have yeah. scriptural records that say his bowels were, were filled with, with mercy. His bowels, right. his bowels were filled with compassion. And mm-hmm. he did something with it. And I think that's the difference. 
right? Compassion is you walk by and you see a person down and you don't just go and sit with him and hear him out and then go about your business. You go, you sit with him with the intent to help him out of it. Right. Um, and, and that's what we want from friendship. Uh, that's, that's what we want to, as dads, as husbands, right? Like uh, compassion should, should drive us. And on a national stage, man, could you imagine what a little compassion would do right now? Yeah, that'd be huge. But I, I agree. I, I, John, I, I love your, I love your response to, to, to that question. Um, I think too, Mike, that I, I love Henry B. Irene said that, and I'm going to totally paraphrase here, but he said that, it, that if we, if we treated everyone that we met as if they were going through the most difficult time in their life, we'd be right more than half the time. Right. <laughs> and I think about that, that all the time, like the, just the idea of how we approach people, you know, just in general. Um, you know, I think that, that sometimes we, we, we feel like, or I'll speak for myself, but I feel like if I feel like compassion is warranted in this circumstance, I will attempt to exercise it, right? But I feel like that quote from Irene is more about um, approaching everyone with a level of compassion at all times. Well, you, you shared in a couple, a couple episodes ago, Tyler, I think you shared that, you know, there's this myth that uh, life is amazing and you go through these patches of rough, rough times when really the opposite is probably true. Life is rough times and, and occasionally... <laughs> You go through these moments of sun, of sunshine, right? And that, that reminds me, my wife texted me this the other day, this Gordon B. Hinckley quote, and I love this, right? Anyone, imagines, anyone who imagines that bliss is normal is going to waste a lot of time. The fact is most putts don't drop. Most beef is tough. Most children grow up to be just people. <laughs> most successful marriages require, require a high degree of mutual toleration, right? Like, and he goes on and just says, I love that. look, I love it's that about too. managing your expectations. Yeah. Right. Cause he basically, he talks about a train ride, right? Yeah. Bumpy and rough and, and right. smoke filled. And every once in a while you get to look at the beautiful vistas. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's, I think that that's true. I think that, that there, there's some truth there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to have bumps and really what it, uh, amount more bumps than we think. And when the water's calm, enjoy it. Because there is a storm on the horizon. I yeah. promise you there's a storm on the horizon. <laughs> yeah, pedal, pedal downhill is what I've heard, right? <laughs> right, pedal downhill. Pedal right. downhill. And, but it, the, the beauty of those things is it makes you focus on what's really important. You know, what really in my life, of all these things, whether you may have accumulated or worked for or accolades um, that people give you, really the biggest... Um, nugget or or the, the the gem is is your family to me is is your your personal relationship with the savior and your family and when you really drill down to it if anybody really reads the scriptures really reads the scriptures i mean and this is again i don't know your podcast but who in the scriptures didn't have a very difficult time I don't, I don't remember reading anybody that had a blissful life. I mean, they were faithful and they overcame challenges. I can't imagine Moses going from, you know, being a prince in Egypt to wandering for 40 years in the desert, you know, hungry and people complaining, being a very, you know, a fun thing or, or Abraham, you know, uh, you know, having the, you know, the challenges. If the savior savior gave us the example of a perfect life, not one day. 
not one, one day, day was right. ever easy. Not one day. You're right. This is not the first episode where the word remember has come up as an important uh, ingredient in that, in that uh, success, right? And in the winning, winning the right. battles we want to win. How do you remember? How do you retain in remembrance maybe what God has done for you? Um, you know, the, the, the times that you've been delivered, the times that you've been blessed. How do you, what, what strategies or what things do you have in your life that help you remember? All right, that's a, that's a deep question, Mike. Um, and I have to, when I reflect on that question, I, I really have to think that it really is. Um, it, it's interesting. We, we, are, we are incredible about being selective in our memories of ourselves <laughs> growing up. <laughs> And we always kind of remember the good time. I think that's how, you know, our survival mode. That's how we survive, we right. <laughs> that's how we survive, right? And we kind of forget the times that maybe we weren't the people that we are now, so to speak. And um, I think it's, it's when you really take the time, and whether people want to call it meditation or prayer, you know, uh, it can be whatever it may be, but mm -hmm. just re reflect on, um, it's, it's important to remind ourselves daily um, of the things we're grateful for, of what are we grateful for, and what are we trying to uh, accomplish. And, and, I, and I look at that, and I think with our kids, they just, they really have to know that we love them, no matter what. I, I don't care. You know, I do care, but if you made a terrible decision, so be it. It's done. Let me just tell you, I love you, and let's pick, let's come to, we can, we'll always pick you up. We'll always go forward and move forward. You know, it, it's never a done deal. And as long as they know that our love is unconditional and that's where we should be working, I do believe that they'll all come around, even if one goes astray. And, and I've always had the same, if you have, kids who have just made great decisions in life be grateful be yeah. grateful well you i know? love that and, it's and never and don't I love i love that it's never a done deal right but we're not a done we're never done it's we're, never, we're, yeah. we're all a work in progress yeah and i think too, oh. John, I, I like that idea too like for me when i think about remembering right i think that for me it's 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 important to to have people around me that will remind me. <laughs> will remind, me. <laughs> remind me that I'm a knucklehead. Remind me that I've done dumb things. Remind me that I've done some good things, right? And I think right. that's important. I, and, and again, I think that's part of why we, Mike and I like the idea of bringing people like you on this show is because it's a, it's an opportunity for us to remind each other, right? That, Hey, we've, right. yeah, you know what we've done. We've, we've got some good things going on in our lives right now. Uh, even right. though, you know, I may have, I, I flubbed a few things, but, but those flubs are important too, right? Because I think about those oh. times and I just think like, man, I never want to experience that again, but thank the good Lord that I experienced that, you know? Right. Failure if you want to call it failure or those flubs or whatever, those are just learning opportunities. They're not, you know, you only fail if you stop. We never want to say we fail with, with our, we haven't failed. It's not over yet. 
it's, it's an opportunity to try and correct or to learn. And if we're constantly realizing about ourselves and I think about my personality, all right, hey, I lack in that area. So how can I get better? You know, how can I get better? How can I um, have take this opportunity that I may consider it a failure, but to take it to make myself a stronger person? Because in the end, that's that's what matters. And John, so looking back on, abs- abs- on looking back on things, is there a truth that you hold in your possession right now that you learned the hard way? That I've learned the hard way. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think about. It, I've got a lot of those mics, so I'm trying to figure out which one I want to yeah. share with you. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You can, and, and we're going to go back to the beginning. You can never exhibit enough compassion for people, Mike. I I have been in my life. I think. And I've, I've gotten much better as I've gotten older, um, quick to judge. Well, I know the answer to that. You know, when you're young, you think you're smart, right? right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as you're old, you realize you're like, <laughs> I, dan- I just danced through a minefield. And I didn't, maybe that's the, I didn't really know what I was well, doing. Well, everything, everything, so, everything was so binary when you're young, right? Yes. Good and bad. Yes, yes. Black, white. You don't see the, you don't see the layers. You don't see the wrinkles. Right. You don't see, I've learned that, you know, as people, uh, Mike Freeman and Tyler Gould, you guys are made up of, of experiences, you know, and, and you're, you're on this journey to be better people like all of us. And there's going to be stumbles and it's not right for me to judge a stumble. of not you guys haven't stumbled, but to judge a stumble on somebody else. (laughs) <laughs> but stumble on somebody else's part when I've stumbled, you know, and, and I think that's one thing I've learned is hold, you could replace that, that judgment with love and compassion, because that's really what's going to make you a better person. How did, how does, how does faith play a role with your girls and how do you balance that? You know, because it's been such a big part of you. How do you, how do you influence them without, being overbearing in their life and letting them make their own decisions? Well, that's, that's a good question, right? If I knew all the, if I knew the answer to that, that Toby, I would I consider myself a great parent. You wait, wait, wait. Producer, producer <laughs> note, uh, Toby doesn't have all the answers. <laughs> We've got Why do we bring him on the show? Well, hopefully I'm, I, hopefully I'm, kind of modeling the way right that they're that they're seeing that it is an important part of my life and that that i'm making decisions not based on something that i I want in the short term right but but how it might affect a a, um kind of who i become and you know i I think i'm falling short in a lot of ways and i i think my kids would probably say that right if they, they see the things that i'm I'm not doing well. And, uh, and fortunately they're recognizing like, Hey dad, that's, you're not, you know, you're not doing a great job there. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they're old enough to get a little mouthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's when I say go to your room and shut the door. Right? <laughs> but fortunately they're, you know, they're, they're great examples to me and they're, um, they're helping me to see where, where I am falling short and, and, 
hopefully that makes me want to be better. I mean, it does make me want to be better. But hopefully it, it encourages me to change and be better. So what are you hoping that, that, uh, they're learning from you? Um, I mean, they're watching All, our kids are always watching us. And I would agree. Uh, there's many times where I should be the teacher and they're teaching me. And I think that that's a couple of things. That's a couple, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fully aware of, of, of where I'm falling short as well, but this generation is amazing. Oh, absolutely. Right? This, this generation that we've been entrusted to take care of and guide and, they they are so much i look at my own kids and they're so much better than i ever was on my best day oh in, in every right. way yeah yeah so what are you hoping that what are you hoping that they're learning as as you're 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 doing your 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 dad thing well i hope that they're learning to treat other people well i hope that they're that they that they see someone in need and and they reach out a hand to help them and i and i hope that if it means leaving their comfort zone to do that that they'll leave their comfort zone and they'll help that person um you know that's that's truly what has brought the most joy into my life is is uh when i've when i've been able to help someone else and uh toby you look there's a couple things that you're saying here that are that are that I love, right? One, you talk about modeling and I love that idea. I, that's like in my mind all the time, right? I always, I, I don't do this and I, I blow it constantly. But that idea of modeling, I think you're really good at that. And the other thing that you talked about was humility, like just learning from your kids. I could do better at that, you know? I, and I love that idea of like, we're, we're modeling, we're trying to learn, we, we want them to learn from us, but at the same time, we want to be able to learn from them and, you know, and then the other thing is you're, you're talking about like showing an example of, of helping others. I mean, look, can we bring this up for a second? Because oh, I think we, we have to go there. I mean, in fact, honestly, when the show started with us talking about East of Eden, I think the last time I hung out at Toby's house, he's reading the book in recovery from what you're about to just talk about. Yeah, I mean, right. So can we go there? Dive into that, yeah. Toby, we'll we'll we want to talk about your experience of uh, giving a young man a kidney, and and kind of how that came about. And, and see, here's the thing, Toby. I'll, I'll say this right now: when someone, when I was told that Co Toby Crawford had given his kidney to a young man, I just said, "Yeah, of course he did. That's that is Toby Crawford. That's what he does." And so. I had the same reaction. <laughs> I was like, you know, honestly, the I mean, joke, I don't want to. This is this is a very serious thing, right? But I know the family as well. I jokingly offered to be tested. They looked at me and said, "Yeah, not so much, man." <laughs> <laughs> no, like they know there's no way there's a healthy kidney in there that's going to help their son. <laughs> like, move on. <laughs> so then I hear Toby Crawford, who's a couple years my junior, is right, right there. And it's like, yeah, of course. Yeah, tell, let, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's lift the hood on this story a little bit. Yeah, walk us through that a little bit. Like maybe give us the, 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 the brief backstory and maybe, and then I'm really more, I'm really interested in your, your thought process in, in making that decision to, to help this family out. Now, I, I know you, and I think that was an easy decision for you, but I'd like to hear what, uh, what your thoughts are. 
Okay, well, it, yeah, so I guess it's been a year and a half ago. Um, you know, it was it was interesting. I was I went and texted a friend of mine, just, I don't even know, something totally unimportant. Do you want to go to lunch? Do you want to, I don't know, hang out, whatever. And, and I get this reply back that was like this four paragraph uh, text that says, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but I'm down in Sacramento. My son is in the hospital, um, has kidney failure, you know, make long story short, um, totally, totally unexpected. Just went in uh, for a, just kind of a, 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 a normal physical and came out of there getting life flighted down to Sacramento to, um, to a pediatric unit where they specialize, um, you know, kidney renal uh, issues. And, um, and so, uh, I, I was blown away. He got this text just totally out of blue, had no idea if this was going on. And, you know, my immediate response was, of course, I'm shocked. And I, I send back a text, um, you know, I, I'm so sorry. I had no idea if there's anything I can do. Um, if, a, you know, if you need a kidney, um, I'd certainly be willing to get tested and, um, and, you know, at the time, looking back on it, I actually think it was a little insensitive to to just go right there because, um, you know, it was just kind of a, it obviously was a an instinctive reaction, not really putting a lot of thought into it. And I'm sure that he had heard that. And, you know, and I, and I don't know that um, it really would have been that, that comforting, but it truly meant that I, I was, um, I was concerned and, and wanted to help. So, um, so, you know, he gets off the, um, or we stop texting and he's, you know, go back to our normal business. But I, I was really thinking about this and I immediately kind of went to my computer and started Googling just kidney donation and, and what that process looks like. And, uh, and so I started, you know, I, I found out what I need to do to go get tested and, and it kind of all just happened pretty quickly. Um, but you know, I, there were some people as I was going through this, that they were shocked to hear that, that I was doing it. They were, I think a little concerned for me. There was, I think they thought I wasn't really thinking it through. Um, but you know, I, it wasn't the first time I'd actually thought about doing this. I had had a friend maybe seven or eight years ago that, had some kidney issues and, uh, and, you know, it made me think at that time, is that something I'd be willing to do? And, and so, um, you know, I think I'd come to the conclusion that I probably I would, at least I'd, I'd consider it and look into it. And then even years before that, as a kid, I, I remember my dad um, had an aunt had a, had a liver failure and, and he had gotten tested to see if, um, if he would be a match to donate part of his liver. And, and I was, remember how remarkable that was to me that he would do that because especially at the time, the idea of someone cutting me open, um, taking a piece of my organ out was, I mean, that was beyond something I could comprehend. And so my, um, so it made, but I remember I've thought about that through my life. Is that something that I'd be willing to do? So here that it is. Resonated. Can I interrupt you really quick? Yeah. So, so watching your dad have that, I love how you called it an instinctive reaction. 
because that's not everyone's instinctive reaction, <laughs> right? But as a kid watching your dad have that thought that stuck in your brain. Uh, oh, absolutely. I still think of it to, to this day. And, mm. um, you know, it's, um, it, 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 it's not necessarily an easy thing to, to go through, but, um, but I, I will say actually I've, after having done it, that it was quite a bit easier than I would have thought. And I, you know, I had some, um, I had some complications after the surgery. You probably know that uh, I ended up having to have a second surgery. I had some infection and different things, but, and it was, you know, inconvenient. Um, but I, I never have never regretted doing it. It's, it was, uh, something that, um, certainly I, I, I hope has made, you know, someone else, someone else's life better. And, so, um, so how do you feel, what, what is your relationship like with that, with that young man and his family right now? You know, it's pretty special, right? It is, it is, it is really a special thing. Um, you know, right now it's a, it's a scary time for them because, um, the, the young man, you know, he's essentially been isolated for the year since it's happened because, um, you know, because because of the the drugs and things that they have to give him for anti rejection and that sort of thing, it's it's kind of uh, weakened his immune system, and so any kind of you know respiratory infection or whatever could could be I don't know maybe life threatening or but it could be severe, and and now with this coronavirus going on, um, it's really a, really a threat. So um, so he's been isolated and, and I haven't been able to see him, but you know I, I get text from him uh every every few days just hey how you doing toby um i hope you're well i hope i hope things are going well with you and your family and you know he's always reaching out and wondering you know asking how i'm doing and um it's a it is a special connection and of course this parents um they of course have been just extremely grateful and yeah. and i don't you know i never have asked for for anything and and i don't never want anything. And, um, but I am grateful for the friendship that, that we've developed. Uh, well, thanks process. for sharing that. And I know you, and there's no way that was going to come out of your mouth <laughs> without us asking that question. I know it even puts you in an uncomfortable position to talk about that experience um, because it's not about you. It never is. And your humility to me is always exemplary, but that is an incredible story that having friends like Toby in our life just kind of help us keep that perspective, right? Keep that. And, and I don't know about you, but as a middle-aged person now, I, I sometimes have a hard time realizing that I'm in the spot where the younger generation is looking, right? I'm still right. listening to Jay-Z. <laughs> I'm still listening, <laughs> you know, and, and I have a hard time like, my kid is walking, we're on a, we're on a trail and he's watching, they're watching my steps and they're stepping where I'm stepping. Yeah. Right. So that old idea of like, Hey, watch your step. Right. That's humbling. That's humbling to me to, to, to realize that, you know, I mean, we started the conversation with Toby talking about him growing up and who he looked up to. Well, that's us now, gentlemen. Right. Right. That's right. us. Yeah. 
I still look up to Toby. It's and the like, girls that you wanted with the car are now our daughters. <laughs> and that's scary. That's terrible. <laughs> terrible. Yeah, that is terrible. I just threw up. I just threw up a little bit. <laughs> no, hey, I'm going to uh, ask a question, not yeah, yeah. even on the script, not even yeah. on the script, but I'm curious. I got two of my favorite people in a virtual room here. Um, we've talked about faith and we've talked about, I mean, let's put aside um, our, our particular church. And let's just talk about children and a loving God, right? Has there ever been a moment? There's 7 billion people on the planet. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you know you are known? Do you know that there's a God who knows Tyler Gould, Toby Crawford, Mike Freeman? An experience, something that comes to mind where it's like, in that moment, I knew. I have certainly had experiences, very, uh, you know, I just personal experiences where I felt inspiration from something well beyond me. And I, and I recognize it as my Heavenly Father um, speaking to me. Um, but even more than that, I, you know, I, I can look back on times in my life, the very difficult times in my life, um, you know, very, I would say dark times where, um, you know, at the time I felt alone and, and, uh, and, and helpless. And yet looking back on that getting through that, I can look back and, and see that there was a loving God that helped me through that and put the right people into on my path. And, uh, and I think that's, that's actually helped me to, to understand and know that there's, um, I do have a, uh, there's a God above and that, that he loves me. Um, because, you know, because I really don't feel like I could have made it through those times without having that, that hand in my life. And I didn't necessarily recognize it at the time, but I, I certainly recognize it now. I, I love that thought, Toby, because I think I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of times where we, at least for myself, you know, I, I hear other people talk about these big grand experiences that they've had in their faith. And I'm the guy that's had a lot of really small experiences in my faith that over, over a time has accumulated into something big, you know? And, and for me, a lot of that is uh, just the people that are in my life. And I, I count you guys as part of that. You know, you just, sometimes you, you have the right people that come along that say the right things that, that for whatever reason, you feel totally connected to those people. And, and, and I, I put you guys on that list, but, um, that to me is like a huge faith building experience. You know, there's time, there's been many times in my own life where, where I felt like you had felt Toby and someone comes along and just says something. And I'm sure in their mind, like you said at the beginning of this podcast, you're like, I don't have a lot to, a lot to, uh, to give here, but, uh, but I'm willing to participate, right? I'm, there's a lot of people in my life that I think would say the exact same thing that you said, that have said really small and in their minds, um, you know, inconsequential things that have completely changed my life, you know, and, and, and pushed me back onto a path or changed my direction entirely, you know, and I think that, to me, that's, that's, uh, 
that's where my faith is really strengthened when I have those small moments and uh, I don't spend my time chasing after those big moments. I spend my time now collecting those small moments and, uh, and recognizing uh, how at every, every turn uh, there's a God that is actively involved. In <clears throat> Okay, so I have a quick question for you guys. Yeah. Have you seen the movie, the documentary, The Dawn Wall? No. No. Okay. Watch it. It's it's about the two guys that climb El Capitan, um, the the Dawn Wall, and they do it. It takes them like 19 days or whatever. What's the guy's name? Is he the one who lost his fingers or fingers? Yes. Finger. I didn't watch that. Yes. Yeah. Tony Caldwell. Guy. Yeah. So the Don Wall, like D A W N. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so there's a moment, and I'm spoiler, right? I mean, you've probably seen these seen these guys in the news or whatever. They they were the first ones to to climb this, um, to free climb this Don Wall. And there's a segment in there where they get to. There's 32 pitches, I think, that they have to do. And there's a segment in there where they get to 15. Number 15 is the hardest. And, and the Tommy Caldwell, the main guy, he, he actually makes it through after a couple attempts. But the other guy, Kevin uh, Jurgensen or something, he, he tries it for days, like literally days. I think it's four or five days. And finally, Tommy's like, look, I can't, you know, I don't know how long the weather's going to hold. And I've had this dream, this goal I've set. I've been working on it for seven years or whatever. And he goes, I got to go, I got to go to the top. And so he starts uh, climbing. He does the rest of these pitches. He gets to a point where he knows that he can finish. And, and here the other guy now has just become support because he wasn't able to do number 15. And, and Tommy, he's sitting there and he goes, he's, he's basically accomplished this remarkable feat, you know, this, this almost impossible feat. And he's sitting there and he realizes, he's, he realizes, you know, this means nothing if my friend doesn't make it up there with me. And, uh, and so, so he goes back down, they go back and they start over on pitch number 15 until, until Kevin gets it done. And, uh, you know, I think about that a lot with you guys that, you know, my, my life is, the things I accomplish, I feel are pretty meaningless without, um, without other people being there with me and uh, and i and i feel that way and as i've been you know preparing for this and uh and talking to you guys it just it reminds me that you guys are those types of friends that i i'm just i'm grateful you know you make my accomplishments more meaningful so thank you you make it easy brother (laughs) (laughs) so listen on that note, let's let's uh, let's figure out how we can all go golfing together again. It's one of these. Dude, days. yes. Good idea, Ernie. A toast <laughs> to my big brother George, the richest man in town. 